You're listening to I Am Here. Yes, hello listeners. Before we get to the episode, I wanted to send a special thank you to my patrons. Your support is so appreciated, and I'm very grateful for you all. And, of course, a very special note that International Podcast Month has been announced. I cannot wait for you to hear what's in store for September on the I Am Here RSS feed. We've got so many great collaborations. Go to internationalpodcastmonth.com for more information. Now, on to the show. So welcome, Theron. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. So you are on two podcasts, one of which is Roll Like a Girl, which is an actual play D&D show, and Mm -hmm. the other is Interference, which I guess I like to refer to as it being like RPG adjacent, because it's an audio drama. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's in my D&D setting, but it doesn't really have that much to do with the game. No, but why don't we just jump right in? Tell me about both of those. Okay. Well, like, as you said, Roll Like a Girl is an actual play D&D 5th edition thing. Um, And I guess we're focused on comedy and table talk more than a lot of shows. We have an epic storyline in the background, but mostly we sort of get together and try and make each other laugh. That's not really anything that we discussed, but that's how things have worked out for us. It's definitely comedic. I quite enjoy it. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And then Interference is an audio drama that I produce with my wife, Hazel. And the tagline that I've sort of been working on for it is that it's a slow burn paranormal romance with adventure elements. Uh, It's about these two ladies who are trapped in separate worlds and they're getting to know each other through audio for some reason. It's it's really cool. It's very intriguing. Oh, thank you. And I, I'm enjoying it as well. It's 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 quite neat. It's very unique. <laughs> I'm glad that you like it because it's kind of the light of my life. I would probably still be making it even if no one listened to it at all. Well, it's great. It de- You definitely have an audience for it. <laughs> I know that I'm in the Discord for Girl in Space, and we've definitely talked about interference over there a couple times. <laughs> oh, have you? That's shocking because girl in space is like my favorite audio drama (laughs) girl in space is also a lovely audio drama i quite like it Mm -hmm. but let's let's talk a little bit more about DD. is that is that the first rpg that you got into uh well in a manner of speaking it is the way that i got to DD is actually through video games when i was 19 i guess i met hazel and she was very into video games and she introduced me to the elder scrolls Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. And (laughs) I got completely hooked and I was looking for more story and it was just over. I was just wandering in an empty world with no more stories. Uh, So we started trying D&D and Pathfinder and other tabletop games and sort of the rest is history after that. (laughs) That's awesome. So you said you started with D&D Pathfinder type games. Have you expanded into other games as well? Since 5th edition came out, we have pretty much stuck with D&D because it's the game of our dreams. Um, But we've played around with a lot of different things. For a few years, we would go to conventions a lot and just sort of try everything that was there. We've played a game called Clockwork Dominion a lot, which it's a steampunk game that has a card system. 
And we played and actually purchased and played at home a lot a game called Ten Candles, which is a very neat horror game. You set up sort of a ring of tea lights and when the tea lights start burning out, that's how the game advances. Um, and when all of the tea lights are out, everybody is dead. Oh, so interesting. That sounds very creepy. Yeah, it is creepy. I, I've run that one on Halloween before, and it's it's a very Ooh, good one. Yeah. Halloween is a great time to run that kind of game. Mm -hmm. I like that. I want to go back. You just said something really cool that I liked. You said that D&D 5th edition is the game of your dreams. Tell me about that. Well, uh, the D&D setting is sort of my jam. I mean, not the actual published settings, but the general medieval fantasy thing. It's set up very well to do that. And that's what I like. Um, and then based on other systems that I've tried, I really like a D20 system, but older ones were sort of too chunky. Uh, fourth edition was terrible. Pathfinder has so many rules. 3.5 makes it I found it sort of unbalanced. It's hard to get away from a character that you have played over and over and over again because you learn it. Um, and fifth edition makes it really easy to jump in anywhere and make whatever story that you want. I also really like the advantage-disadvantage system. It makes it easy to DM. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up because the advantage-disadvantage system came from fourth edition. Uh, the It was from a very specific class. Yeah. Well, I think that 5e basically took 3.5 and that stuff and then all of the best elements of fourth and made a really good game because playing fourth edition sort of felt like playing a board game. It got away from the storytelling a little too much or it was too easy to do that. Yeah. Um, and fifth edition brings it back a bit. I definitely have played D&D more than I've played any other RPG, so mm -hmm. I, I'm there with you. The big problem with that is that I play with people who aren't really into gaming pretty often, and every time my mom or somebody new that I was playing with looked at the list of skills on a Pathfinder or a 3.5 sheet, they were just like, what is this? What are all yeah. these empty boxes? Oh, so 5th yeah. edition takes that away. Yeah, agreed. And I did like 4th edition for kind of my first foray into D&D, mm -hmm. because 3.5 was so overwhelming and fourth edition was so much like a board game that it was really easy for somebody like myself who had never played an RPG, mm. like a tabletop RPG before. But then it got really boring really fast. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. But fifth edition is definitely, I'm I'm loving it. Yeah. I think you're right. There's a lot of opportunity for storytelling that I feel didn't exist in older editions. Yeah, we're telling amazing stories at all of my tables, which is kind of new before it wasn't necessarily like that. Yeah. So you kind of mentioned it. Does your mom play D&D &D with you? She does. She is a little nervous about it, even though she's pretty much been playing with us on and off since 5th edition came out. We invite her to our table pretty often and she's not as into it as she could be, but she has made like a lot of really great fighters. <laughs> um, and once one of her characters sort of their backstory built a whole campaign because they were looking for something ca called um, the lost Koken pan of Kola Trovo. And I sort of built a whole campaign around that. That's really cool that you yeah. play with your mom sometimes. So I <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. I'm very close with both of my parents. My dad does not play. <laughs> no, no, just not interested in trying it out. Um, he tried once 
And I just don't think he liked it very much. It wasn't what he expected and wasn't really his thing. Hmm. I mean, it's it's too bad. But at the same time, it's really cool that he still tried it out. It is. Yeah. So that's that's really neat that you get to share that with your family as well mm-hmm. and to play with your wife. And I, I do think that's really neat that it's a family affair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I've asked people online questions about this and they always say like, oh, it's so great that you play with your family. And once somebody said, oh, the family that plays together stays together, which <laughs> I think is like a good a good way to think of it rather than going with the, oh, we're a hopelessly nerdy clan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can be both. I love that. That's really fantastic. So I want to hear more about, well, I want to hear more about both Role Like a Girl and Interference. How did you start with Role with a Girl? How did that project come to life? Well, it was mostly Sarah's idea. Sarah is our DM and I had been interested in podcasting and she started posting about it on Tumblr a little bit. So we messaged back and forth and I said like, oh, well, if you ever start a podcast, I'd be way into doing that with you. And then like eight months passed without us even talking, (laughs) but we started putting it together. She brought her sister Lauren with her and I brought my friend Nikki. And then I think that we picked up Livy from uh, looking for a game posting somewhere, which is kind of interesting because we're all very close friends now. That's awesome. Kind of, that's it. We just, <laughs> we, we met or brought people, we started playing and nothing has really changed since the very beginning other than we are all friends and that is the best part of it really. I love that. It's it's a fun show and it you know it's clear that that everybody is close friends. Uh, the the cast chemistry is awesome and it's really obvious that you just so enjoy playing with each other. Yeah, and like this is a, sort of a key thing that we know that the audience doesn't necessarily know. We record at nine o'clock on Sunday morning (laughs) and we still manage to have as much fun as we do. I think that the show might be too wild if we recorded in the evening because we just have a little bit more energy. (laughs) I like that though. Morning morning D&D with like, you know, a cup of coffee sounds Mm -hmm. like a lot of fun. Um, And do you record online with everybody or do you get together in person? Oh, we record online. We're all far away from each other. I think that Livy lives in Florida. I live in New England. Nikki and Sarah and Lauren are a little bit closer, but it's still a Texas and Arkansas distance. Uh, So we record online. So at some point, did you guys all, I know you you said that Livy, you met kind of online for a looking for group thing, but mm-hmm. did the rest of you all kind of know each other in person at some point? Uh, no, we didn't. I mean, I knew all of them at least somewhat other than Livy on Tumblr, like as part of the RPG community, for lack of a better term <laughs> there. <laughs> uh, we we had all seen posts from each other. Um, and I'm close with Nikki. I was sort of casual friends with Sarah, um, but we've never met. A few of them are going to meet this weekend, actually, at a Renaissance fair, but not me. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool, though. It, it's amazing how that kind of thing can happen today. Well, that's actually how I met Hazel as well. Um, I make most of my best friends online these days. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I love that. And how did you and Hazel come up with interference? Well, I got hooked on the podcasting thing from recording Roll Like a Girl. 
And I, I sort of just bugged her about it for a while, but you have to make a podcast. I'll do whatever you want as long as we can record it. It's so much fun. And we just sort of started brainstorming ideas because Hazel would never start with sort of a casual chatty thing and the two of us alone can't do an actual play show. So we decided, well, we've been working on this D&D world for a long time together. Let's do something there. And we came up with an idea for Jack, my character first, of this person who is sort of a huge nerd and kind of lonely recording something. And suddenly they're interrupted by a voice from another world. And we took that wherever it sort of led us. I love it. <laughs> it's it's such a great idea. Uh, and I love that you incorporated this world that you created for D&D and, and your love of D&D and put it into an audio drama. I think that's a really cute and unique thing that I haven't seen before. And I really like it. Thank you. I thought it was a pretty good hook. Um, I also just like the idea of an audio drama that makes good use of the fact that it is an audio recording rather than just necessarily reading a short story or something like that, though that can be great too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a neat way of embracing the fact that it is an audio medium. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. You'd mentioned that you got into RPGs with Hazel through video gaming. What has your experience been in the RPG community? And I guess, how has it evolved over the years? Because I take it from you playing 3.5 that you've been playing for a while. Yeah, we've been playing for about a decade at this point. I've had a lot of different experiences, really. Most of them have been just the two of us gaming together with whoever we can scrounge up. We've never been really go-to-the-game-store people. Uh, (laughs) Part of that is we have never really felt comfortable at a game store. Like every so often you'll find one that's okay for a while. But part of that is that we're just kind of snobs and we figure we can do just as well on our own. (laughs) (laughs) So for a long time, I wouldn't say that we were even part of an RPG community at all. But since this whole podcasting thing has started, we definitely have been, both of us. Um, And it's actually really great. Like, I don't know if it's because things have changed or just because we never really tried too hard before. But as opposed to those situations where we walk into a game store and everyone looks at us and they're like, oh, it's a a fat chick and a, a trans lady. Let's stare at this person for a while. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Oh no, that's that's sort of just life sometimes. Um, but but it, I mean, it's so sad to say that it's it's just life and it's just how it is because <laughs> it's not how it should be. No, it's yeah, it's not how I wish it could be. Mm-hmm. It would be nice if the entire world was as pleasant as the the podcasting community, but the fact that. Every podcaster I've ever talked to for any amount of time has been very welcoming and it's just like a nothing but smiles kind of land. Uh, Like the worst (laughs) podcaster thing that I've come across is that people are over eager and we're all a little hungry sometimes because we're suddenly finding all these people who are putting out amazing content and we share so many interests with them. So it's easy to take it too far. But if that's the worst you can say about a community, that's like really awesome. Yeah. So yeah, that's certainly true. It's interesting that you haven't actually gone to game stores very often. Is it because 
you had an unpleasant experience and that turned you off of game stores for a while? Or is it because you had heard of unpleasant experiences and that made you wary of going into game stores? Um, well, I guess there are elements of both. I'm pretty stubborn when I really want to do something, but my dad is a big comics geek. Um, so when I was little, he would bring me into comic stores every so often just because he was uh, in charge of my well-being and he had to go to the store. Uh, so like you pick up on the vibes in a comic store and it's not that different from a game store. So I was wary going into a, a game store for the first time because it's a nerdy male space, which is a little dangerous and a little off-putting. Yeah. But the actual experience of walking into a game store is uh, varied, I would say. I've had that really bad, everybody's staring at you experience, but I've had a few good experiences as well. Sometimes it's just easier to do your own thing than figure out which one it's going to be. Yeah. I, I'm always so hesitant because on one hand, I really like the idea of a game store in terms of browsing and being able to pick up the physical copies of, mm -hmm. of RPG books and flip through them, especially ones that you're not familiar with. But it's always this like balancing act of like, okay, I'm going to go into a game store. Do I want to be there for long? What mm -hmm. time should I go at? How should I dress? How should I dress? <laughs> Are people going to stare at me? I've had the the weird comments when I do choose to buy something. The guy at the till is like, oh, who's this a gift for? <laughs> Your <Yeah>. boyfriend? <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. no, myself. Thanks. That's why I just spent 20 minutes looking at it drooling, but thanks for assuming yeah. it's not for me. And so I struggle with that because it, it's it's this conversation that endlessly exists. And I wish that there was a game store or like a game store community that existed <laughs> like the way that our RPG podcasting community exists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be great. How do you feel that your identity affects or dictates the way that you play or GM D&D &D or other RPGs? For a long time, it meant that it was hard to find a group, basically, um, because you want somebody who's going to accept everyone at the table, and that's not easy to find. However, we have recently entered a sort of gaming renaissance, and there are people who are interested in gaming everywhere. The main thing that I do now is I'm a librarian, and I run games at my library. And there, I set the rules, and, you know, they're the rules of polite society. You <laughs> keep your indoor voice and you respect everyone's decisions. You have these table rules that you follow. and. When my mom plays with me, she makes fun of me a little bit for having such tight rules like that, but she's also only ever played with me. She doesn't know that things can get out of hand. Right. And it's really nice to play online because you sort of turn into just a voice and you're with friends online uh, and things get a little looser. <laughs> <laughs> But sort of my priority as a DM is to make everyone as comfortable as possible, whether it's just because they're shy or whether they're worried about some aspect of their identity, like singling them out. Yeah, I mean, I think that's so important. And I think it's really cool that you're you're using that in your library. What drove you to run RPGs at the library? And is it a program that anybody can join? Well, I'm not particularly great with small children. So I tend to run for people who are, say, 
14 or 15 and above, but it is for anyone. I've run for people as young as 13 and for as old as 60. Um, and I've run games other than D&D as well, which is always an interesting journey. And pretty much I started doing it just because I like gaming and my boss said I could do whatever I wanted with programs. <laughs> but I like to spread sort of the good word of D&D and storytelling as a collaborative effort that anyone can do at any time rather than something that is sort of restricted to the smarties. Right. I think that's really cool. And I really like that. I mean, first of all, kudos on mixing work with your super fun hobby. <laughs> oh, yeah. The getting getting a degree in librarianship has opened up so many different nerd things to me. It's been, <laughs> it's been a great time. I really like that you have incorporated that because, I mean, and it fits so well to libraries and, and storytelling and drama and I mean, all of these things are so interconnected. And I absolutely love how most RPGs in general are these beautiful collaborative stories that we all are a part of and can pour a little bit of our, you know, heart and soul and hopes <laughs> into yeah. and create and craft these worlds that are interesting to us. Definitely. I love playing with new people because it's such a good way to quickly learn about them and quickly make a new friend when things go well. And that's always very interesting in the library because it's a much more diverse group than you would pick up pretty much anywhere else because it's whoever happens to be around, whoever saw the sign, people from every walk of life and from all ages. It's a very interesting way to play. That's really neat. It's it's a game that, that does exist for anybody. Mm -hmm. I think it's really cool that, that your table does gather such a diverse and likely very interesting group of people. It is, yeah. What I find to be universal is that people who have never played an RPG before are really interested in trying to win. I find it really cool that you are running D&D &D at a library because to me, a library is such a safe and open space. If I was told that my local library was running RPG D&D &D game nights or afternoons or what have you, it would definitely be something that I would actually go to versus a game store running their open, open tables. That's a place where we've already discussed is oftentimes not necessarily open or safe or you risk it being not a safe space. Whereas a library to me, there's already some structure there and there's already a level of expectation yes. of behaviors. And I think that's really cool that you're doing that. Thank you. My goal is ba with that is basically to introduce people to gaming in that safe space because so many people don't have that start to it. They don't realize how much fun gaming can be because there are other things to worry about if you're in a game store. I think that's a really beautiful thing. Was it something that you had to kind of get approved by any anybody or like passed by a boss of sorts? Or was it something that kind of came up and was very naturally and easily accepted as a cool thing to do. Well, it was probably one of the things that I did in the first six months of working there. So I definitely ran it by my boss. But were I to want to start a program similar to that now, I know that I wouldn't 
need to get permission or anything. Libraries are pretty big on just getting people in the door learning or reading or having fun. Uh, and if I can bring in an audience by playing D&D, then that's kind of all I need to do. As long as I'm not doing anything, you know, harmful or political, I have carte blanche, basically. That's really cool. Yeah, it is nice. Do you find yourself often having a full table? Um, well, there is always the scheduling problem with D&D. <laughs> There's an element of I can run one shots, but then everybody wants to come back. And when they do, we have to schedule it. Right. So that's troublesome. I've had tables of very full tables of like seven people. And then I've had only one person showed up. So we had to play a board game or something instead. So it varies. And do you find that in general, the players who do come to your table do approach it in the way you set those expectations? I have only ever had to police one thing, which is actually, this is a group that I game with in my home now, but there was a couple who came in and the man was like, well, I'm going to play a lawful evil character and he's going to do this and this. And I'm like, well, I'm not sure that's going to work at this particular table, but we can give it a try. And just sort of every so often I would have to steer him slightly. <laughs> but Overall, it's a very positive experience. I think that's really cool. I seriously don't think I've ever heard of anybody running D&D in a library as part of a program. And I think that's a really awesome way of both getting people in the doors of the library and also getting people in involved in gaming in the way that you're setting out to do. And I really love that. Thank you. Anybody who is interested in doing something like that, you should go to your library, approach whoever does adult programming or general programming and offer if you're interested in starting something like that, because they will almost certainly take you up on it if they have the space and the time for you. It's it's a really cool idea. I really like that. But I really hope that if somebody is interested, especially like, especially like we were talking about those people who maybe want to be part of the community, but don't know how, because right now they're maybe only listening to podcasts or watching streams because they haven't had a chance to find a table that is a place where they feel safe to play because gaming is such an exploration of self, especially role playing. You know, you're putting yourself out there about what you like and the way you like to play and what sorts of things interest you and sometimes even your own your own identity and your own self. And I think it's really cool that a library can can provide that. Definitely. A library has so many built in things. It's going to be handicap accessible. Everybody is automatically allowed to be there, regardless of any status they may have. It's a it's a good, safe place to play. That's awesome. So let's talk about what inspires you to play or run D&D. Well, the reason that I play there, I guess it's twofold. I just enjoy telling stories. And I find that D&D is a very good way to tell the kind of story that I like and get the help with it that I like to have because I like collaborating. But also there's an element where it's kind of the only way that I can socialize in person without needing to take a nap after to recharge. There's something about D&D &D and it keeps me coming back where 
I am suddenly extroverted, possibly because I'm playing a character who isn't myself, or maybe as a DM because I'm organizing it. It's just an easy way for me to get out and actually talk to people without having to recover for hours afterwards, which is very nice. That's really neat. I want to touch on the fact that you said maybe it's because you're playing a character who's extroverted, or maybe you're GMing and so you have to be organized and mm-hmm. and you're playing NPCs who are perhaps extroverted. Right. And I think that really takes us to how we explore parts of ourselves and not just parts of who we are, but parts of who we aren't. Mm. I want to hear more about that from you. Well, I think that all of my characters have had elements of me and elements of the other parts of the world. Um, Sometimes it's that the character has a similar personality to me, but they're a total badass who can go and fight with a sword. Or sometimes they're very smart, like I like to consider myself, but they wouldn't notice if they left the house with one shoe on and one shoe off. (laughs) And sometimes definitely it's that they are totally comfortable in a social situation and that uh, some other aspect of me will come into it. And it's really sort of nice to put away some of the baggage and let some other aspect of yourself take the forefront. Yeah, I definitely can relate to that. I often step away from social interactions and I'm like, why did I say that? Mm -hmm. That was so stupid. And or I'll overanalyze things. You know, my social anxiety is not so much in in the moment as it is the when I walk away from the social encounter. (laughs) Then I second guess everything and I get really anxious. I think that there's probably a nice piece of security there if you're playing a character because, well, it wasn't me who said that foolish thing. It was my character. (laughs) Um, So I, I I can definitely see that. Yeah. I find it so fascinating the way that we explore with our characters. I would love to hear your thoughts on the way you feel with not just as a player, but as a GM, the way that you might play NPCs or tell your story differently than maybe you would as a player. Well, honestly, the way that I DM, I don't know if I would call it messy necessarily, but it's so focused on the external that I don't have a chance to worry about my own um, interactions because I'm obviously playing NPCs, but I'm also tracking all sorts of things that are happening in the background. And I'm trying to make sure that everyone else is having a great time above everything else and that everyone is comfortable. That playing a character doesn't really come into me being comfortable. It's just sort of putting my ego on the back burner to make sure that everyone else is happy and having the best time they can in the limited time that we have to do this fun thing. Yeah. Interesting. Running D&D, if you've never done it before, is a very big job. It's like juggling and doing 10 other things at once. (laughs) (laughs) I watch my DMs for D&D specifically, and I just don't understand how they can do it because I I love to play, but I am very intimidated by GMing. It's definitely intimidating, but I honestly don't 
think that it's the rules that are intimidating. You mentioned rules lawyers, and they are a blessing and a curse. They can pull out a rule that you would never have thought of and sort of save you from looking. But they can also get into a 20-minute argument with you about a calling that you made, uh, which isn't great. But for me, the difficulty in it, and I'm considering it a good thing because it keeps my mind off of the anxiety, is... Uh, sort of balancing what everyone needs at the table. I actually really admire our DM in Roll Like a Girl, Sarah, for the way that she does this, because we gave her very basic backstories, and she has managed to give each of us exactly what we want. Nikki needed like a sort of dramatic backstory, and we ended up saving her from being kidnapped by her sort of evil fiance. And Lauren has this backstory where possibly as a small child, she burned down her whole village with a flare of her power and she's trying to repress it. So she also has this sort of crazy, but very soul searching thing. Whereas what I gave Sarah is that I run a self-defense class and I'm just out adventuring to make money for it. And I have these two friends and she gave me this amazing episode where we met my two friends and we had a nice dinner and talked. <laughs> so <laughs> she's balancing all of the needs. And I think that that's what a good game master will do. I think that's a really special thing. And mm -hmm. something that I haven't necessarily heard talked about so overtly is addressing the needs of the players, what they need out of sitting down at that table. Because I know in the past I've struggled with groups where I have two very good and very dear friends to me who sometimes we've found it hard to play with because one of them adores story and doesn't like it when things are too difficult and the other always wants things to be the hardest ever. And so I've always found it difficult to play with them because their needs are so wildly different. Yeah, it's always a challenge and I try my best with that. I do definitely have maybe not as extreme as you described, but I have very role-play-oriented players and very um, combat and crunchy rules-oriented players at my table. And sort of the only thing you can do is try and get both things into every session right. and cross your fingers. <laughs> but I think it's something that we don't necessarily talk about explicitly mm -hmm. is the need, the reason why we're sitting down at the table. Because I mean, more broadly, the reason why we're sitting down at the table is to have fun. Yeah. So I really like that you brought up that point about recognizing the player need and balancing mm -hmm. that and that a really great GM can balance it and can take those things and output a game that fits everyone's needs. Definitely. That's the the GM goal as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That's a really great thing. Like I said, I don't think I've ever heard it so explicitly stated. I think we don't talk enough about that explicitly at the table. Definitely. I do think that the whole system with the X card, it's very focused on past trauma, but it is doing that. It's it's trying to address the player's needs above other aspects of the game. Right. And I, I love the X card system. I mm -hmm. think it is brilliant. Yes. It would be great if all the time we could focus on what we do want rather than what we don't. <laughs> right. And that's not to say that the X card shouldn't still be used, but I think that perhaps there can be a 
marriage of sorts of the X card system and a more, I don't want to say positive because the X card system is not a negative thing. It's, it's a beautiful thing. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm so glad it exists, but, but it is, it is focused on a negative aspect of a person's experience. Exactly. And so it would be interesting if there was a system developed for a way of making it easier for GMs to very explicitly ask their players, what do you need today? Yes. And I think that's hard for DMs who have so much work to do in advance in mm -hmm. preparation to be able to change up. Yes. But I think that most DMs, other than like combat, which is hard to balance and stuff like that, uh, it's, it's most DMs will have some idea of an encounter for the future that they could bump forward if somebody really needed like to have a harvest festival where we're all going to play a bunch of games rather than the gory combat that we were going to do. Right. I guess I just wish that there was a way that the DMs felt able to ask that. Definitely. It, it took me a long time of DMing to figure out exactly what it meant to me and what I wanted to do with it. And it's sort of a holistic process of trying to figure out the table. If I thought that I could just ask everyone, well, what do you want to do? It might be a little bit simpler. <laughs> yeah. It took our group a long time before we kind of all realized that we should stop gaming on Friday nights at the end of our work week, mm. that we all just didn't have the energy for it. We weren't the greatest our peers and our DM was walking away from those sessions feeling pretty down. Yeah. It's something small like that can make a huge difference, realizing like, oh, we should just play earlier in the week. Yeah, because role play and gaming really can be a lot of emotional effort. Yes. And I think it takes a really in-touch group and a really cognizant DM to recognize that mm -hmm. and to be able to balance it because it's a difficult thing. It is. And I guess that kind of moves us to the question about how do we make RPGs more accessible in the moment or planning? And how do you feel you do that, especially running one-shots in a library where your players are people you've never met before or maybe have only met once or twice, and it's more unpredictable, I guess? Since I run D&D, &D, it is very rules-heavy. Uh, this isn't exactly what you're asking, but I <laughs> I do it's prepare okay. characters ahead of time for people to play. And then there's a lot of hand-holding. <laughs> um, but in terms of making things accessible and engaging, I think that really all you can do is go into it with sort of uh, humility and open arms and try to uh, make sure that you're not making assumptions about people and that you're listening to what they are actually saying rather than what you expect. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Mm -hmm. It's a big question that you it asked. Is. It's, not, it's, <laughs> it's certainly not something that I can fully answer because it's it, it'll be an ongoing process trying to keep things open. But that's a that's a perfect answer. Mm -hmm. I think that you answered it beautifully. It's it's an ongoing conversation and it, I think it's something that needs to be organic and needs to be something that changes with people and with our experience and not just individual life experience but our experience as players and as DMs mm -hmm. is taking our 
mistakes and our successes and reevaluating all the time. Yes. Yeah. Well, hmm. <laughs> we've talked about a lot of big questions. We have indeed. So let's talk about Dread. Okay. Sure. You said you've never played Dread. I've never played Dread. No. And I'm very, very bad at Jenga. So I'm sure that I would die early in Dread. But <laughs> it's such an interesting system. I love that you do the character sheets with the questionnaire. And I love how it's entirely based on sort of a story that's very tropey and you can go through it and have a lot of fun with turning those ideas on their side. Yeah. It's it's interesting that you said that 10 Candles was your Halloween go-to because Dread is my Halloween go-to. Mm. It's one of those games where like you have to play in person. Yeah. You can't play Jenga on yourself with somebody else playing by themselves on a computer 500 miles away. <laughs> but yeah, if, if you're interested, Dread can make a great Halloween kind of horror. I'll, I'll have to try it sometime. I'd rather be a player for that one than run it, I think, just because I like to get an idea of the game before I take charge of it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, I definitely understand that. <laughs> I typically like to play first before GMing. And if I can't play first, uh, then I listen to podcasts. Yeah, it, it, that is a good, it's a good surrogate, I guess, for playing. Hearing That's enough a good people way of play. putting it. <laughs> <laughs> so what keeps you coming back to RPGs? Like, what is your favorite thing about D&D? And what keeps you going back to it? Storytelling is huge, but I actually think that the biggest thing that keeps me coming back is just how many friends I've made and how like quickly we've become very tight. I've made groups at the library that generally I would have never seen them again, but now they're at my house every other week and they bring snacks and we play this long, ridiculous campaign that I'm running. I, I met a group online with, it was like two guys named Dave and their friend Pete. Um, and I still play with one of those Daves like five years later and we're pretty good friends, even though we don't have that much in common other than D&D. Right. I just think it's a great, a great way to make connections. And I love playing D&D with my friends. That's like my whole thing right now. Yeah. So you mentioned that it's the friends that you've made and those connections. How do you feel that those friendships have impacted or, or changed your life outside of RPGs when the entry or the, the start of those friendships were were the RPGs or, or was D&D? I think that mostly you get to know somebody just a lot faster when you spend four hours sitting with them and telling a story uh, than you would if you, you know, you met and you went out and got dinner and chatted for a little while about whatever, uh, the weather and miscellaneous things and how your day was. You get to know like deep, dark secrets that people have and what makes them tick. Um, and I think that it just makes better friends more easily. And why do you think, like, why do you think that is? I think that just the amount of time is an aspect of it because you do usually sit down for a good long time. But also there's a vulnerability in playing a character, you have to trust the people around you, and that opens things up a little bit. 
Well, I like what you say about Mm -hmm. you have to trust people because trust isn't something that usually happens immediately in a friendship, even at the beginning. It takes a long time to build that up and to be at the point, I think, where you can be really open, where you can put that trust. And I I think it's interesting that D&D provides this space where there's almost a level of trust required right from the get-go. Yeah, I think that the game sort of holds your hand a little bit. And it allows you to say like, oh, well, I want to be friends. We have to go and defeat this creature or we have to uh, just work together on this mercenary job or whatever. Uh, So I'm going to work with these people and I'm going to share things with them. And that translates from character to table very easily. I like that. Yeah, I think you're right. I guess, is there anything that you wish were different about the community or that you adore about an aspect of the community that you wish was more prevalent? Well, as I said, I've never really been that involved in a community like this before for gaming. It's always been sort of solo or you sort of scrape together a few friends or acquaintances. But now I'm in this big and welcoming community and it's just sort of overwhelming how nice it is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not sure that I have anything that I would like strongly say that I dislike about the gaming situation I'm in now. I definitely think that just in the past few years, maybe even one year, it feels like people have been more open-minded about playing D&D in the first place, and it's getting more and more diverse and interesting and more people are willing to give it a shot. If that were to continue, that would basically be heaven for me. Yeah, I love that. So thank you so much, Theron, for talking with me today. This has been a really wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me and asking all of those big questions. Support for the I Am Here podcast, presented by RPG Casts, is made possible by listeners like you. You can help keep the show going and get sweet excess bonus content for as little as $2 a month when you become a patron on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash rpgcasts to check out exclusive rewards for patrons and to make your pledge. I Am Here is a production of RPG Casts. The intro and outro music was composed by Emily E. Mayo. Special thanks to Peter Grelly for designing the graphic art and assets for both RPG casts and for I Am Here. Thank you so much for listening to I Am Here. It means so much.